Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Podcast, equipping people to live successful Christian lives. After the service as well. Uh, But today we are going to be wrapping up the series, Take Back Your Life. And Pastor John started this series uh, a few weeks ago, uh, just kind of getting back to remembering who we are, that we are made in the image of God. And we, we are called that we can be the, the, the me, the, the you uh, that God has created us to be, but we have to remember that we can do this. We can take back our lives because he has given the strength to do so, that we can do all things through Jesus who strengthens us. And a couple weeks ago before our house party, Pastor John was talking about the, the mind game, you know, like getting out of those dark thoughts, you know, getting rid of that, that mental junk that just for whatever reason constantly seems like it is storing in our mind and just really talking. It's like this process of saying, hey, I can take captive of these thoughts. I, I can speak these truths. I can speak these promises over my life. But in order for me to take back my life, I have to stay hungry. I have to stay humble. I have to be hopeful for who he is and what he's going to do through me. And so today, as we wrap up today, I just want to kind of start off with a very uh, simple question. Um, When something goes wrong, who or what do you blame? When something goes wrong in your life or in your schedule or in the circumstances you're in, who or what do you blame? Please do not point and look at your spouse. Somebody is already starting to do that. Uh, even though it's probably true, um, don't, don't do that. It's not nice. That's not kind. Who do you blame? Do you blame the dog? Do you blame the kids? Do you blame society? You know, who or what do you blame for the issues and the circumstances that we go into? I think, um, I know for me, it's, it's very easy just to naturally think, well, because of being a problem solver, uh, I naturally start to pinpoint, well, this is the reason why. And I put the blame on that. Well, now that I know that, then I feel like I've created this some kind of sense of like, okay, well, now I can move on. But why do we play the blame game? Why do we just go through that process? Why well, I think it's easier to blame. I think it's faster to put blame rather than even admit it's like, oh, it might be me. I might be the issue that's why we're in this situation. Sometimes there is, no, there is nothing that has really made this happen. It's just life. But yet, for whatever reason, we feel like that we'll have a sense of peace or to, to our discomfort if we put the blame on something to, to direct our, our, our pain towards somebody. We get caught up in this issue, and I think sometimes what, what we need to understand is that the circumstances that happen in our life, we can see it with this perspective that it is a stumbling block in our life. To where God may actually be allowing something to happen in life that could ultimately be a stepping stone for his glory to prevail. And I believe in our pursuit to take back our life that God is ultimately really trying to do something and try to reveal something to us. That in this pursuit of taking back our life, it's not just our life that is impacted, but it's also the lives around us that get impacted as well. That if we're able to take back our lives, that the people around us begin to notice the difference in us, knowing that the circumstances are still there, knowing that the, the, the discomfort and, and the pains can, and the sorrow can still be there, but that they can see us still thriving because of who our God is. And now, therefore, their lives are being impacted to where that they can see, hey, I can take back my life as well. It, it, 
I, I think this, this part of the blame game that we play, it's part of naturally knowing what do we do with our disappointments? What do we do with our discomfort? So we put this blame thinking that's going to be this release. I think also part of the blame game is, is because of how we're viewing the circumstance in our life. And to kind of give a better perspective on this, I, ha I have a picture up here. There we go. So I, I was in my office. This is my dog, Willow. She is a very uh, hairy and thick with two C's beast. Um, and on my, she was very comfortable and calm. But also on my desk is this Chewbacca Pez dispenser. Anybody like Pez? Okay, good. All right, so I had Chewbacca out because, you know, may the fourth be with you celebrating Star Wars and everything. And so I just saw this picture because she was very calm because she always gets very nervous when it's just us. And so she was barking everything. So I told her to say, just relax. And so she sat on my couch. But I noticed something. It's like in this picture, whose head is bigger, Chewy or Willow's? Chewy, okay. Or Chewbacca, whichever you like to prefer. And, and so Chewy's head is much bigger than Willow's in this picture. The reason that's bigger is because of the perspective that this picture is giving. Now, in reality, if you go to the next picture, you can obviously tell that a Pez dispenser nowhere near compares to the size of my, my dog's head. Now, she's very hairy right now. We need to get her cut. Uh, she, she's very scared of getting a haircut. Like, eyes are, like, popping out of the socket scared. But uh, I was just kind of using this as in perspective. Here's the thing I, I want us to understand. The reason, if you go back to the first picture, the reason that the Pez dispenser looks like it is larger than my dog's head because I am closer to the Pez dispenser. And church, I want you to understand what I'm trying to say today. I think we allow our circumstances to be much bigger than what they typically or should be. Like, why do we allow our circumstances to be bigger than our God? What, why do we allow that, that fear that rises up or that anxiety that rises up to be bigger than our God in the moment? Because if we think, if, if our circumstance is so big and our God is so small, it's not that our God is small and, that our, 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 and, our, and the circumstance is big, it's that we're sitting closer to the problem than we are to God. And I want us to understand that if we can get closer to God, it's not that God changes in size, but that God is actually big, and we're seeing how big he is for the first time. So we cannot take our life back if we're allowing the circumstances in our life around us to continue to get the better of us. We're going to face trials of many kinds. The Bible even says that we'll face trials of many kinds, tribulations, suffering, sorrow, difficulties, you name it. But take heart, I have overcome the world, is what Jesus said in John 16, 33. God, he reminded us that the hardships were coming. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, all right, when you accept Jesus in your heart, all problems go away. How great of a life that would be. But it's not. Just because we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior doesn't make our problems go away. But we have an outlet, we have an avenue, and we have a fresh perspective to see when things in life, as they continue to go, that we can change the narrative. We can change how we're going to face what is ahead with a new mindset and a new attitude and how we speak and communicate and ultimately live this life that God has blessed us with. 
You and I cannot control what happens, but you and I can always choose our response. And I believe that God wants us to learn how we can stand out in today's culture so that the generations of now and the generations that are to come will see an example from the church today of how we can ultimately take back our life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you for this opportunity to come before you, to dive into your word. And God, I pray that you, your Holy Spirit would just rest in our hearts and our minds right now so that we could be challenged and that we could, we could see these truths to, to not just take back our lives, but to challenge those around us that are walking aimlessly, hopelessly, lost, and that they would be able to find their life in you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to be reading from a passage from 1 Samuel chapter 30. And so if you have your Bibles with you, you want to read from your Bibles, you want to read from your Bible app, you can go to 1 Samuel chapter 30. I'll have some of the scripture up here for us to follow as well. All this will also be in the My ALC sermon notes in the app. And so just to kind of give you a little understanding of what we're going to be reading from, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, what's been happening is... Uh, David and his men, they've been on the hunt by Saul. Remember Saul, he was the first king of Israel, was chosen. He had the anointing of God, but because he chose to do things his own way, chose to disobey God, he lost that anointing. That anointing was now on David, but David's not yet king. And so Saul, who becomes jealous of David, he's hunting David, and there's men that follow David. They've been in the hiding. They can't get help from Israel. They've been finding refuge in the Philistine lands. You know, they, they offered to, you know, they're, they're asking David if he wants to be an advisor for the Philistine army. No, the Philistines don't want him, so they reject him. And so David and his 600 men, they are walking back to their hometown of Ziklag and feeling kind of defeated. They're exhausted. All they're wanting to go back to is their home to their families, to their wives, to their children. At the same time, the enemies of David, the Amalekites, who are these nomads, they take revenge on David by attacking Ziklag because it was unguarded. And so they take everything from the city, they plunder it, they, they burn it down, and they kidnap and take captive the wives and the children. So imagine when, when David and his men, they've been marching for days, and they have this anticipation, they have this hope of getting back into the city, to seeing their families, to, 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 to rest and to be with their wives and their kids, only to see that there's nothing left of the city. It, it's beyond disappointment. There's pain. Everything that they were hoping for, everything that they were wishing to see and to, and to be with, they have lost. So it, it says in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, or in verse 5, that the, the men, they began to weep until they had no more strength to, to weep. These are soldiers. These are warriors. So imagine that everything that they are hoping for, everything that they are looking towards, to the point of where they are literally exhausted from weeping. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, And David was greatly distressed, to the point for that people spoke of stoning him. 
because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and his daughters. The men that even stood by and followed David, who have lost everything, they now seek justice. And the only thing that they can think of doing is to put the blame on somebody. Why is, there, why is my city, why is my hometown burnt down? Why are we so exhausted? Why have we been hiding? Why have I lost my family? So they put the blame on him and him alone. They followed him. And this is what they have to show for it. These are all the thoughts that they're going through. And so they wanted justice. But what does David do? Because David could have easily played the blame game. He could have blamed Saul. Guys, this is only because Saul, no. David, David does something different than what the other men are doing. If you continue to read in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, it says this, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. It's easy to blame the circumstances or, 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 or blame people for the things that go wrong in life. I know I personally, in my personal life, I, I blame others for my shortcomings. I blame God for not answering my prayers. I even blame myself for falling short of my own expectations. Anybody else? Like we put the blame game out there. But God wants us to know in our pursuit of taking back our life, it is a matter of how we're going to perceive the circumstances in front of us. And that's why I believe that sometimes maybe it might not be God delivering us from the hard season, but maybe God is delivering us through the situations. Maybe, just maybe, he might be wanting us to take back our life. It's a matter of stepping forward, confronting what is head, but not taking our eyes off of him. Sometimes I feel like the life that we want to take back is not the life that God wants us to take back. Like we, sometimes we're like, hey, I've accepted Jesus in my life, but let me go back to the things I was doing. No, God wants us to, to have a new life in him. Stop going to what was old. Let, let's take on the life that God sent his son Jesus to die for us. That's the life we need to be pursuing and living for. In verse 6, David could have blamed anybody, but he began to be different from the men around him. You can't always control what happens, but you can always choose your response. And church, we can be and we are called to be different so that we can make a difference in the lives around us. When you get towards the end of, of, this, of this chapter, sorry, around 17, 18, because of David's response, because of his actions in the midst of the circumstance, they were able to go and to conquer the Amalekites. Starting in verse 17, David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. And now a man of the mixed except 400 young men who mounted camels in the field, David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. Because David chose a different response, not only was he able to take back his life and all that was his, he helped the men that were following him to come and take back what was theirs as well. It's a matter of how we're going to perceive what is before us. And I believe when you continue to read in this passage, you can see what David did. We know in verse 6 that David, he encouraged himself. He strengthened himself in the Lord. You know what I always find very interesting? 
That at this time, as David has been on the run, David has been feeling alone and abandoned, uh, that, that he, he's now lost everything in his family, he, he continued to put his confidence in God. And God responded by guiding David to victory. Where Saul, on the other hand, first king get lost his anointing, who chose to do things his own way. In the next chapter over, in a battle with the Philistines, dies because he falls on his own sword. You have one man who chose to keep his confidence in God, and the other who didn't, and he faced God's judgment. In our world around us, it's chaotic, it's hectic, but we can encourage ourselves in God by the way we think, by the way we speak, by the way that we live. It's not to say that we can't feel these big emotions. Like, we're going to feel angry. We're going to feel upset. We're going to feel disappointed. We're going to feel all these things. God gave us those emotions to feel. But are we going to settle and allow our emotions to dictate in how we're going to live, or are we going to allow God's truth to show us in how to live? Joshua 1, 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Taking back your life, it's remembering who it is that strengthens you. It's remembering, hey, I may not feel God in the midst of my pain, I may not feel God or even see God in the midst of my doubt, but I still know he is real, and I still know that he is with me every step of the way. And the times when I need him, he's going to carry me through. Amen? Amen. This is what it means to encourage ourselves, that we have to remember who it is that loves us unconditionally. We have to remember who it is who has called us to a greater purpose. We have to remember who it is that, that he has made these promises and these blessings available for us. We have to remember who God is and what he has done for us and delivered us from. Not only did David strengthen himself, he, he sought God in the middle of his pain, in the middle, as discomfortable as it was, he had to seek God. It says in verses 8, 7, 8, David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake him? God answered him, pursue away. See, he, he, David goes to God with, with purity and, and, and submission and honor. You know, as, as a soldier, at any other time, he didn't have to ask permission to go. As a soldier, you just know, these people attacked us, we're going to go attack them. <clears throat> but David, he, he decides, I'm going to come to God with everything. It's very easy to overlook allowing God to lead us in the directions to go. But we have to be persistent in seeking God in every step of the way. It's simply as, as inviting God, God, listen, I'm in a tough spot. God, I don't understand what you're doing, but hey, I'm inviting you to meet me where I'm at. That we have to be persistent, that we have to be intentional of saying, God, I don't know what's going on. God, this doesn't feel great. God, oh, I don't have the answers. I'm trusting that you are who you say that you are. Will you meet me? Will you give me the answers? Will you guide me through this? James 1 and 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. 
So we got to seek God. Man, seek God before you make that Facebook post. Seek God before you send that text. Seek God before you cut that person off on the highway. Seek God before you flip the bird to the person that cut you off on the highway. We, we, we have to be intentional of saying, God, hey, I need your guidance on this. It shouldn't be that we have to wait until this big moment, even in the small little moments too, that God, hey, please guide me in this. Some of y'all need to seek God when it comes to like Sunday after church, like where do I eat? I don't know. Seek God, he'll tell you. <laughs> Cracker barrel, come on, let's go. Um, the moment that God tells David to pursue, David pursued. It said, continuing in verse nine, so David set out. And then even when some were tired and they stayed back, David pursued. The moment God tells David to do something, he acts. And, and, and here's the thing. I think many of us, we equate knowing with doing. But I think sometimes people blend the knowing as the same as doing. It's not. Knowing is not the same as doing. I think it's something that we understand, but we don't necessarily do. Like I know for me personally, I know I need to exercise. I, need, I know I need to eat healthier. I know I need to drink more water, but sometimes I don't. Sometimes I know the things I should be doing. Sometimes I know what is right, but we don't do it. And we cannot truly see God's word to truly impact our lives if we only just know. Because listen, just knowing of God, knowing of who he is, is not what's going to get us into heaven. Jesus even said, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter into heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. If we believe that God is who he says that he is, and if we believe that God is directing us and telling us to go and do, then we have to be able to do because just knowing is not what's inviting heaven to earth. Just knowing is not inviting God into the mix. And, and, and as long as I've been involved in ministry, I've seen too many times, especially with the younger generations, when you ask them, hey, why do you go to church? Oh, well, that's just because that's what we do. All right, have you, do you know who God is? Yeah. Have you ever accepted him in your heart? Yeah. H how? I don't know. Somebody told me. And yet we wonder why the, the, these generations are deconstructing their faith or, or, or walking away from the church is because they have never truly gone from knowing of God to knowing God and living him in our hearts. And, 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 and adults and church, we are setting the example. We are modeling for the generations to come. If we want to see others take back the lives, and we have to be able to be representing it. James 1.22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. People who sincerely love God are the ones who, who fight, who fight not just to take back their lives, but fight for others to take back their lives as well. 
God desires those who hear his word to become authentic followers of Jesus, disciples who obey his teachings because they know and love God the Father. I know for me personally, and, and there's been times where I feel like I read God's word and I'm trusting in God's word, but I feel like I'm terrible. Like I'm terrible in, in sharing my faith. You ever get to that place where it's like, hey, God's presenting an opportunity. God told you to go speak to somebody. God told you to pray for somebody. And you're just like, you freeze. Or you're like, the, 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 Jesus loves you. Don't go to hell. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like, and, you, and then you're beating yourself up. And I've seen this time and time again where people feel like, you know, they, they've ridden the, the spiritual high in their encounter with God, but when it's come to actually like try to live out, it, it, they feel like that they're not meeting so, this unrealistic expectation. So then they doubt, and then they question, is, is God even real? Or if they question his existence? Listen, don't take opposition as a sign that you're doing something wrong. Take it as a sign that you're actually making progress. We, we have to strengthen ourselves, church. We have to seek God. We have to do what he's telling us to do. And the last thing is we have to trust. David trusted. See, when, when you look at verses 11 through 15, they meet this uh, Egyptian who was left behind from the, the Amalekites because the Amalekites, they, since they were nomads, they would sometimes take uh, Egyptians as, as, as their slaves. And so th this Egyptian, he tells David after David's men, they took him in, they fed him, you know, they helped him out. And he's telling them, it's like, my master left me behind because I was falling ill. And I didn't, they, want, they didn't want a dead weight to carry. And so he's explaining how the Amalekites, how they destroyed the city of Zitlag. And so David asks, like, will you tell us where this band is so that we can go defeat him? And the Egyptians are like, hey, as long as you don't hurt me to take my life, yes, I will do it. See, sometimes what God does is that in our pursuits of taking back our life and in our pursuits of, of, of walking in faith, when we don't necessarily have the clear answer or a clear picture of how this is all going to play out, sometimes God presents opportunities and even people along our path to help us exactly where we're at. And I think this is also the purpose of the church. Or it's a, a purpose of the church because the church is a place that when we are in our pursuits of living this life that God has created us to live, he's providing opportunities to grow and mature. He's, he's providing people to come alongside us, to help us in life and in our faith. He's providing this for us, but we have to be able just to keep trusting and walking alongside we have to be able to trust the process that he, he, he's working even when we don't understand. But sometimes, and I feel like this is where we see the disconnect with, with society and church sometimes, is that people will come to church for the hour experience and the feel-good message and then go about the rest of their life and the rest of their week not taking what God is calling us to do. And we may, it's almost like you look at church as a, as a hobby rather as, as 
a, a, a command to, to submit to God and to, to be in his presence and to take his truth and to live it out. I'm sorry if I'm stepping on somebody's toes this morning. But the church isn't a place where we are just to get a spiritual fix or feel good about ourselves. The church isn't just supposed to be a place that we add on to our already very hectic and busy schedule. But if something else takes place, oh, well, we can just cut church out. No. The church is, is, is the bride of Christ. The, the church is a movement of God's people to know him more and to, to represent him out into our world. The, the, the church should be the place where we don't just come to, to get what we need, but it should be a place there where we wholly submit and surrender to our God to be a better reflection of his image. In his word, it says, be imitators of God. How do we be imitators of God if we're not taking this word and this truth to heart? And I'll be honest with you. Hey, listen, I may stay on this stage and, 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 and preach, but I am imperfect. I have flaws. I mess up. I don't do this correctly. But you know what? I'm thankful that I am surrounded by a church community that I know my hand is not the only one up. That we can do this together. And that I have people that when I know I need help, I have a family that I can rest upon. That I know are going to help me to get back to the strength to where I can run at full speed again. Church, we have to be able to trust one another because how do we expect not just to take back our lives but to help the others around us to take back their lives if we're not allowing ourselves to be vulnerable with each other? We have to trust that God is presenting people in our lives for a reason and then we also have to trust that God is putting us in other people's paths to help them as well. But listen, we're not going to do it right And I want us to understand that in our pursuit of taking back our life. Listen, God isn't looking for perfection. He's simply looking for a spirit willing to obey him, even if it's imperfect. Don't allow failure to stop you in taking back your life. Don't allow failure to to be something that hesitates you in helping others in their pursuit. You know, keep, if you keep looking at David, if in the next book in 2 Samuel in chapter 6, I love this passage because D- David, he continues to want to be present with God. He wants to continue to receive all that God is and, and live that out for his people. But if you look in 2 Samuel 6, David, he goes to God and says, God, hey, I won't bring the ark to the city. And God's like, cool beans, awesome, let's do it. But his, his intention, no sooner had he done it, someone's dying. And then God gets mad. And then David gets mad. And then he gives up on bringing the ark to the city. He allowed the emotions to stop him in the moment. But then three months later, we see David's like, now, nah, we're bringing this ark to the city. We're going to do this. We're going to come back, and we're going to try again. And if it doesn't work again, we're going to try again. And so what he did is, if you look at 2 Samuel 
This whole, this whole passage is in, is in chapter 6, but I want to read specifically from verse 13. When those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened camel, in verse 14, and David danced before the Lord with all his might. In verse 15, so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of a horn. Listen, church, don't allow failure to stop you from taking your life back. We're not going to get it right every single time. But that shouldn't stop us from living this out so that others would be impacted. Because listen, there are people that are living in our world, living in our community, who are walking around who do not have hope who do not have the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, who are walking around lost and afraid. And God wants to bring people into their life to show them who he is and the promises and the blessings that are available to them so that the hopeless could find hope, the lost could be found, that those that are hurting could find healing in him. David didn't let the first time stop him. And, and, and when we face a circumstance, there are circumstances that we have walked through and we have gotten through, and praise Jesus, we are still here. But we've also gotten to that place where God has delivered us from something, but yet, oh, here's another thing. And then yet we, we, we start the blame game all over again. Church, when are we going to be like David and change the narrative? That even though this is what those around us may be doing, or this is what might have used to be what we used to do, but now when are we going to take this moment to stop, to strengthen and encourage ourselves in God, to seek him and invite him to meet us where we're at, to, to, to begin pursuing and living out what his word says, even though that we may not understand it or necessarily see it, to his full potential yet, the moment that we just begin to take that step of faith and to trust him and to trust the process. In Jesus' name, I pray that we as the church in our pursuit of taking back our life, listen, listen, some of us, we've already taken back our life and there's others that it's like we're still trying to figure it out. But let nothing stop us in the process of living to the full glory of Jesus in our lives. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I, 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 I thank you for David's heart that in the moment when he could have easily, easily blamed and given up that you gave him the strength to fix his eyes on you, to find his encouragement in your word and in your truth. To invite you into the problem. To do what you have called him to do and to trust in the process. God, I think about because of one man's faithfulness and hunger for you 
that 600 men were able to receive the blessings of what was taken from them. That because of one man's willingness to surrender to you, God, and to be an imitator of you, that 600 men were able to get back what was taken. God, what would happen if every one of us decided to say, God, I submit to you. Despite the circumstances and trust in the process and trusting you, how many people around us would get back the life that you have given for us? God, I pray that we would live this life that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us, that we would live. I don't want failure to be something to stand in the way on the, what's on the other side of the circumstance. So God, I, I pray that every one of us now that is listening to the sound of my voice, that we would invite you now to meet us where we are at. And we invite you to bring heaven to earth. God, we speak that out over our life right now. God, I pray that we would speak that out over our spouse's life in Jesus' name. God, that we would speak that life out for our children and for our family and for our co-workers and for every person that you are bringing into our life for a reason. You are up to something, God. You are awakening the, the, the spirits in our community, God, who are hungry for, for something that is real and authentic. And it's only going to be, that hunger is only going to be quenched by you, God. So, God, may we not forget who you are and what you have done. You are with us. You are for us. You have not abandoned us. You are our strength. And God, just like how David, every six steps, God, God, sometimes all throughout the day, I would pray, God, that we as the body of Christ, we would remember every six steps to take that moment and to surrender our hearts and our mind and our will to you. That no matter what the circumstance is before us, we know that you are good and we know that you are with us. And we will see this through in Jesus' name. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to get in touch or would like more resources on how to live a successful Christian life, you can always find us at myabundantlife.com. Have a blessed week.